0: In today's episode, I'm going to be delving into a very well-known Bible verse. Well, I say well-known, it's well-known to Christians, and that is Matthew 11, verse 28. And how this episode came about was actually through my Sabbath school notes. I was preparing to teach Sabbath school um, last week. So at the time of me recording this podcast episode. It was last week that I was preparing to teach Sabbath school and the topic was looking at Matthew eleven twenty eight. Well, it looked at other verses related to that as well. But the the memory verse was um, Matthew twenty eight, Matthew eleven <laughs> verse twenty eight. And if you're not familiar with the concept of Sabbath school lesson, it's just basically a time. In church, when we come together and we go through a pre pre selected portion of the Bible, and everyone review that portion of the Bible and the theme and the me- the theme and the topic for that week, and then we come together and we just review some of the things we have learned throughout the week through go- through going through. <laughs> by going through the study so that's the concept of sabbath school basically so it's a bible study that everyone gets the opportunity to do a pre-read and see the pre-questions and then we come together and we discuss and hopefully learn so i was responsible for um teaching that week last week and as i was preparing for the lesson review I was really incredibly blessed because, for the first time, I saw matthew eleven twenty eight in a whole new light, and I guess that's part of the blessing of preparing or being asked to do something you you get that double blessing because you get to present to people what you've learned, but also you gain the blessing through the preparation process, and as I was preparing or Maybe after the lesson, I was reflecting and I thought, hmm, this would be a really good topic to share as a podcast episode. So, dust off the podcast equipment and here we are. Well, here I am sharing this episode with you. I pray that you will be blessed as you listen to it. And um, if you've studied this in your church, maybe you guys came up with some other ideas as well. But these are some of the blessings that I learned through going through the lesson study surrounding um, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28. And it's actually part of a larger theme. So each quarter we have different themes. And this quarter it's rest in Christ. And this week's lesson study was come to me. Oh, but last week's lesson study was come to me. So let's get into this study. In order to get a clearer understanding of Matthew eleven 28, I'm actually going to start in verse 20. And I believe that's where the study actually started. It did start in Matthew 11, verse 20. So I'm going to read verses 20 to 30. There are 10 verses. I do recommend that if you're in a position where you can follow along or read the verses yourself, then do so. Because what we're going to do after reading those 10 verses is just to go back and go through, like, a verse by verse look at what's being said in those verses until we lead ourselves up to Matthew 20, Matthew 11, verse 28, and 29 and 30 as well. We'll look at all 10 verses. So, starting in Matthew 11, verse 20, it reads Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works were had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. From verse 20, the very first questions that came to my mind was, why was Christ rebuking the people and why did he do mighty works in those cities and the latter part of verse 20 tells us that it's because they did not repent and that in itself just tells us that Christ hoped that the mighty works that the people would have witnessed would have done something would have impacted their lives somehow to bring about a degree of repentance, not a degree bring about repentance. The people will have just seen the works, the mighty works, so things that they would that would have been uncommon to them. Things that could that you don't you know those experiences that you have and you just can't leave from the experience, the encounter indifferent. But these people saw the mighty works, they saw the incredible things being done but they did not repent. And I guess this verse in itself, it ties in with what um, what Romans, what Paul says in Romans 2, in Romans 2 verse 4, he says, um, it is the goodness of God that leads to repentance. When you see the goodness of God, that in itself can will lead to repentance. But we see here in this example, there are people who saw the mighty works that Jesus did, but yet they were just, yeah i'm not gonna repent so christ began to rebuke them and that's what we see in the upcoming verses so that's verse 20 we see christ rebuking the people because they would not repent and it also shows us that god used mighty works as a way to bring people to repentance and the other thing i noticed in that verse is that christ went to the people the overall theme of um, this podcast episode and the lesson study that we studied last week was come to me so the invitation that we'll later get to in verse 28 where Jesus is saying come to me he's saying come to me but he first came to us he first went to those cities he first did the mighty works he did all of that so that people may repent and come to him but he first went to them So that's just some of the things I can see from Matthew 11 verse 20 and not to make this just completely just reading the Bible and picking out interesting bits but applicable to our lives that's what Christ does and he continues to do he does things in our lives that we can just we just look back and think that could have only been God and it is a mighty works it is amazing things and we can maybe you're listening to this and you can even testify where you know that it was only God and that's God's goodness being revealed so that we can come to that I come to the point of repentance and seeing that we need Christ but as we will see in the verses coming up the people still didn't really feel their need for Christ so as we jump into verse 21 to 24, we actually see this rebuke in greater detail. Verse 20 introduced the fact that Christ rebuked the cities. Now we actually get to look, take a deeper look at the rebukes. So in verse 21, we have Christ here pronouncing these various woes to two cities in particular and a comparison. So we have the very first woe to Corazin and Bethsaida, and then they're given this comparison to Tyre and Sidon, and then we have Capernaum being having their woe presented, and then there's a comparison to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, Sodom, and from all of the cities, I'm not going to look at Tyre and Sidon because I don't really know how bad the wickedness of Tyre and Sidon was. But I definitely, and I guess most of you listening to this podcast will be familiar with the proverbial wickedness of Sodom. And we have Capernaum being compared with the city of Sodom. So in verse 23, we have that Capernaum will be brought down to Hades. So we have Corparnia being brought down to Hades. And Christ mentions again about these mighty works which were done. And he didn't just pronounce the woes and spoke about the mighty works, but he actually said what these cities would have done if they had the privilege of seeing the mighty works that Christ did. Christ said they would have repented and as I said already, I don't really, I'm not really that clued up with Tyre and Sidon, but yes, more so with I, I have a better understanding of Sodom. And when we think of Sodom today, we think, "Wow, that that city was wicked. That city was wicked. They were committing abominable sins. They didn't care about the hungry. They they there was oppression. There was so much going on in that city, Sodom." And Christ is saying, "If they had seen," the mighty works I've just done in these cities um, that I'm pronouncing the walls on, they would have repented. So that gives us an idea of just how hardened the hearts of the people in these three cities were to the point that not even mighty works, things that's beyond human comprehension couldn't bring them to the point of repentance. But before we move out of these three verses so we've got the woes we've got the mighty works being referenced again and we have what those wicked cities from the past would have done if they could see the mighty works so those are some of the key things mentioned in those three verses but one of the things i really want to pick up on is the mighty works why does christ keep referring to the mighty works so what we're going to do before moving on from these three verses is actually look at one of the mighty works which Jesus is making reference to in these three verses. The mighty works. The mighty works would have brought about repentance. And this one of these mighty works stories can be found in Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. So a few verses to read again, but you need to read all of the verses to get the full story itself. So if we jump over to Matthew Matthew, Mark chapter one, verse 28. We'll pick up one of the stories of the mighty works, which Christ thought. This is a mighty works that should bring about repentance. Let's see that story. Verse 21. Then they, they being Jesus and his disciples. Then they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even unclean spirits, and they obey him? And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. So this is one of the examples of the mighty works which Christ did in the sight of the people. And people are talking about it. So it wasn't done in secret. And it was done in a very public place, in a synagogue. And I guess the equivalent of that for our day would be someone being demon possessed in a church and it's interesting what the demon says. Even the demon recognized that Jesus was the son of God. He recognized that Jesus wasn't like the scribes. And the people, after Jesus had done the mighty work of um, freeing this man of the unclean spirit, they recognized that this wasn't a normal man. This was the son of God. And that's what helped to spread the, the fame of Jesus Um in his ministry so this is one of the mighty works which was done specifically because in verse 21 it says Capernaum it was done in Capernaum in their synagogues to profess believing people and there were there are many other mighty works which Christ did specifically in those regions which he's making reference to in Matthew 11 so if we jump back to Matthew 11 and we're going to look at verses 25 to verse 27 Verse 27 is the precursor, the forerunner, obviously, to verse 28, which is the verse we are working towards, where we have that invitation to come to me. But what's interesting in verse 28 is that after this one-sided dialogue that we see in verse 24, sorry, in verse 25 and verse 26, in verse 27, we're reminded that Christ wasn't working on his own. He was always working with the father and the spirit in verse 27 we see that the only way that the people could know the father was through jesus and if you're familiar with the story of philip when philip says show us the father and christ said if you've seen me you've seen the father this point is reiterated here in verse 27 that Christ was not working on his own. And one of the big questions, or yeah, one of the big things um, that the scribes and the Pharisees had at the time was, was Christ actually the Messiah? And Christ here in verse 27 is saying, is reminding us that he's not working alone, he's not coming on his own accord, he's not working alone he's working with the father because he says um no one knows the son except the father no one knows the father except the son and only the son can reveal the father so this idea of wanting to know the father but not want to know the son was just it was just absurd to to want to see the father but not to be able to see the son also christ in this verse is Setting up verse 28 to say that this invitation that we will now go into when we look into verse 28 is uh, from the Father, it's from the Son. Here I see that Christ is essentially laying the foundation to say what gives him the authority to say what he then goes on to say in verse 28, 29 and then verse 30. He has this authority from the Father because only He can reveal the Father. He has the authority because He does not work on His own. He works with the Father. So you have this idea of just, you just see the Godhead working together, the Father and the Son working together. So when He, the invitation to come is from Christ, but it's also with the Father because they work together as one. Verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In this verse, we have a few things happening. We have a command, which is come to me. We have a promise, which is I will give you rest. We have an invitation that is open to everyone because it says, come to me all. labor and are heavy laden and at the start of the podcast this episode I did mention that the overall theme is rest in Christ and that's one thing we all have in common whether we are male or female, young or old, black or white, rich or poor, we all labor, we are all tired, (laughs) we all become heavy laden So the invitation is to everyone in this verse to come to him. One of the questions I had from looking at this verse is what is labor and heavy laden? So labor is quite self-explanatory, it's work. But what's this heavy laden? So in some translation, it actually says heavy laden or burdened, you're burdened with a load so there's labor which is one thing but you also have a burden at the same time so the question i had for my class because as i said i'm just literally taking you guys through my sabbath school notes was what is heavy laden or what is what is heavy laden in this verse what's that burden which christ is referring to because ultimately we love this verse because it says, Come on to me, all he that are heavy labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. What's the heavy laden part? The labor is quite clear. As a Christian, and even if you're not a Christian, one of the biggest burdens we will ever encounter in life is a sin. Sin is a burden that none of us can actually carry. And last week actually, well the week before this particular study, we looked at the life of King David and how rest comes at a cost. There's a cost that's associated with having rest and how sin comes at a cost as well and there's a burden that... You cannot escape because of sin. And in the life of King David, he he added sin to sin to the point where he was so burdened with his sin. So sin itself is the strongest burden that we can carry in life as human beings. It's, it's something that will crush us if we try to carry it completely on our own. You'll find people try to cope through different routes of escapism, to to handle this burden of sin. Here in this verse, Christ is saying, I don't want you guys to carry this. I want you to give it to me. He says, come to me. Because he's the only one that can resolve the burden of sin. Before I move into verse 29, I want to dwell on this idea of sin being a burden. Not dwell too long, but Maybe a couple of minutes on this idea of sin being the biggest burden that we can carry. And in the Bible, I think one of the best demonstration or explanation that we have of how burdensome sin can feel is what's presented by Paul in Romans 7. In Romans 7, Paul presents this man who wants to do right, but he finds himself doing wrong. And the things that he doesn't want to do—that's what he finds himself doing. And you can tell that this person is in turmoil. They are—they're in this state of constant conflict where they want to do right, but they're not finding themselves doing right. And then Paul is going back and forth in this chapter. And as you get to verse 24 in that chapter, this man in Romans 7—he—he. He hits a brick wall and he cries out, Oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And in verse 25, Paul essentially saying what Christ is saying in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. Paul realized, or this Roman seven man realized that He can't do it by himself. He needs something outside of himself to help him to get through this internal conflict of wanting to do right but finding himself doing wrong. And in verse 29, he surrenders and he submits. And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. This, whether it's Paul or a man presented in Romans uh, Roman 7, this person reached a point where they realized that they need to yoke up to something stronger than themselves in order to have that victory, in order to not feel the burden of always doing wrong when the desire is to do something right. It's to do right. And this is... um. Yeah, I said I was going to dwell a little bit, no more than two minutes on this point of the burden of sin. And I think in all of us, whether we are, we have a God that's guiding us or not, we all desire to do what is right. We We all, to some degree, will feel this burden. So when we go into verse 29, we have this exchange because... We have the invitation, we have the command, and we have the promise. He's, the promise is that if you come to me, I will give you rest. So there's an exchange. We're going to give him our burden, and he will, in exchange, give us rest. So in verse 29, we have this invitation to take Christ's yoke and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul so a yoke is a piece of equipment that you put around the neck of farm animals mainly cows and you it's a, a a and a mechanism that allows you to bring two animals together so that they can work in unison to complete the task of ploughing the ground. So you use a yoke to bring two things together so that they can head in the same direction and be doing the same thing together. So this idea of being yoked together. So Christ uses the word yoke and the symbolic or the spiritual representation is that We have to submit. We have to realize that actually I can't do this on my own. I may be able to work, yes, but I can't carry the burden of sin on my own. I have to submit. And in the grand, the greater picture of this um, or the overall or in context of this story, it still refers back to where we started in verse 20 and 21, where the people, they were having this invitation to be yoked up with christ where they're not carrying their burdens anymore where they're repenting and turning from what they were doing so that they can find rest but they chose to continue continue in their sins and continue to carry their own load and i guess at this point i'll probably share a story that i heard years ago and it was about a hitchhiker At this point, I'm not actually going to share the story about the hitchhiker. I recorded this episode a few months ago and when I recorded the episode, it made sense to share the story about the hitchhiker. But a couple of months have passed and now I'm sat here and I'm re- editing this uh, episode and I want to take that hitchhiker story out and share something that happened recently and um, while well, it was a conversation with a friend that made me think about this episode again. My friend works as a live-in carer or live-in support worker. I'm not sure of the exact title but she basically lives in the homes of people who need care and support while they continue to live in their own houses and she was returning back to work but I knew she was feeling very very reluctant about returning back to work not because of her job itself but because of the particular client that she's going to return back to work for the client is this very wealthy woman living in London she's got multiple homes cars businesses but she's sick really sick physically sick And her physical sickness is now impacting her mental state. And as my friend was recounting the behaviours that the woman um, display on a daily basis, it just made me think about someone who has no rest. So this woman, she's got wealth and possession, but she hasn't got rest. And you can tell... Obviously, I don't know her story. I don't know what she's been through in her life, but I can just tell from everything that my friend was sharing with me that this woman is burden, like really burden. She feels as though she's going to die to the point where now she's being put on prescribed med- medication just to give her peace of mind. As I was listening to my friend. I guess one of the immediate thoughts that surfaced in my mind was she needs to hear about rest. She needs to hear that about this exchange where God can give us not just physical rest, but rest from that burden that money can't buy. And as I was about to, well, I did share with my friend and my friend was like, she's not willing to listen. Because in her mind, she is a very wealthy, important person. She doesn't want to hear about God from a servant or the help. So she's not willing to engage with the help unless it's they're helping her in that moment. And I just thought that's very sad that that's her outlook on life, that she's not even willing to to dialogue or to even listen rest isn't something that money can buy let me rephrase that rest or peace of mind that comes through the rest from burden isn't something that money can buy of course you can have money to make you rest from physically working from physically working but peace of mind is something that money cannot buy and it's openly available for everyone and it's all about your thinking it's about the mind and it's just how powerful it's a reminder of how powerful the mind is and who we ultimately submit to who do we um give authority to for this woman she was clinging to her or she is clinging to her possessions her wealth her title All at the expense of rest. The reason I'm sharing this story is because, as I said, the conversation with my friend prompted me or reminded me of this episode and it made me just think how real these things are. They are not just, the stories in the Bible aren't just stories that just happened and they were good read to reflect on. These are themes or things or principles that people are still struggling with here in 2021 struggling with finding peace of mind finding rest but being so caught up in what we can physically see and hold on to that we're not even willing to entertain the invitation accept the promise Or even believe that it's offered to us. I'm going to caveat that story with this. The woman that I made reference to in that story. She doesn't know God. So it's understandable why she's trusting in what she knows. And for her, that's her possession. Those are the things that she's worked for and acquired in this life. However, there are Christians out there that need this message as much as the unbeliever. When Christ was speaking, the invitation is to war. But his audience, his primary audience that was hearing the message, they were believers. They were believers who were clinging to their burdens despite knowing God, despite knowing of God. So when Jesus was speaking and saying, come to me, and maybe maybe that's why I wanted to include the hitchhiker's story because it's like we know but we don't do. We, we hear the invitation. We can even recite the invitation, but we don't wholeheartedly accept the invitation. So while that woman's story was really sad to me, to even think about someone who's just in such distress because of a lack of peace, she's in that state of distress, but she doesn't know God. It's more worrying for a Christian to not have rest despite knowing Christ. Because if, you, if we go back to the ladies, um, lady example, the lady in the example that I referenced, she's in this state of distress or of hysteria because she doesn't know God. But for a Christian to know God and be experiencing that, It's quite, um, it's very worrying, actually, because then that means the invitation has just fallen on deaf ears. That invitation to take his yoke, to be yoked up with with Christ, has just fallen on deaf ears. And it hasn't really impacted the life to transform that person to truly repent and realize that actually I don't have to do this alone. There's an invitation, there's a promise, there's a command in Christ's invitation in Matthew 11 verse 28. I'm going to close this episode in the same way that we close that study. Someone had a question about verse 30. The question was, what does it mean? What did Jesus mean when he said, my yoke is easy? And my burden is light. What does it actually mean to be to have burden that is light and his yoke is easy? I believe here Jesus is reminding us that life will always have burdens. But how do we tackle? How do we deal with those life burdens? His invitation is telling us to yoke up with him bind ourselves to him, that we don't have to try and deal with those burdens alone. The Christian life isn't one that's free from burden. It just means that you have someone to share the burdens with. And who doesn't want to share their burden with someone? Who doesn't want to feel like they're not doing it alone all the time? And I guess that's what it means, that his burden is light. It's not going to be the type of burden that is oppressive to the point where you feel like you're going to crush. It's going to crush you or you cannot cope. It's it's um manageable. It's bearable. You're doing it with someone. You're doing it with the God of heaven. <laughs> you're doing it with the God of heaven with you yoked with you someone supremely stronger than you and I um yeah so I think that's probably the answer that we came to at the end of the study I'm going to pause here not pause I'm going to stop here and if you found this episode um a blessing or encouraging in any way do share it with someone And I will see you in my next one. Bye.